Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Monday, midday, I guess. And um, in the middle of everything, I'd like to put this out already, if I'm able to. So I want to talk about the Parsha today, the Golden Calf. Today's uh, talk is being sponsored by um, Professor Marcus, Alfred Marcus from uh, Minneapolis. He's doing it as he, as he wrote to me in memory of his dad, his father, who passed away almost 30 years ago, 1992. That's so 29 years ago. Wow. Who's from Pittsburgh, from Congregation Polytetic. That show I've heard of. Uh, that's an old show. And he spoke about him as a, a real, what I like to call the balabas of the old school. Uh, those were the salt of the earth. Devotion to Mignonim were mainstay of congregation of 40 years. He did Parsha with Rashi every day and Perky Elvis. The, the, I remember people like that, but there weren't many uh, from years ago. It's what you call middle brow culture, which is a good thing. As long as Judaism has a lot of balabatim, that would be a middle of culture. That's Chomish and Rashi. That's Kitzur Shulchan Aruch. That's Perky Yavos. It's the things that are so missing. Um, now we have more of a polarized kind of sociology. With some people very learned, other people uh, with zero. Uh, anyway, we pay tribute to his memory. As I said, it's also over here. And he was kind, patient, and avoided conflict. Well, that's pretty unusual. <laughs> if that's true, then he was an unusual person. So, as I said before, pay tribute to Yonah ben Yosef, Olbashalab. And with that, um, I thank Professor Marcus. Nice from the University of Minnesota. Minnesota. It's a good school. Uh, and let's proceed. We're looking today, of course, at Kisisa, which is the golden calf. That's uh, tripping away. Every year, you change your perspective, I think, on the golden calf. The story, of course, is one... That's the number one sin, and more of it, a number one embarrassment of the Jewish people. I think that's pretty clear. Number one embarrassment. In fact, it's a major theme of Christianity and really a big theme of Islam that the Jewish people proved unworthy of being the chosen people by making a golden calf at Harsinai, which you can totally hear. Okay? Uh, in terms of ingratitude, stupidity, things like that. And. Although this criticism of Jewish people for thousands of years, I'm speaking now historically, has always provoked a counter um, uh, uh, literature among the Jewish Mepharshim who are torn, in my opinion. I told you, all you gave is my opinion. Uh, between the desire to defend Jewish honor on the one hand and therefore tone down the story of the golden camp say, well, it wasn't a big deal, it was just a this, it was a that. It's not as bad as people make of it. Uh, the Kuzri comes to mind, Sadiqon lived in Islamic context, and really, it was that, you know, Sadiqon says that Aram was pretending so he would have a list of uh, perpetrators, so later when Moshe comes down, he would uh, get them all arrested and punished. The whole thing was a big sting operation. That's the Kuzri says it also. 
Um, so therefore he didn't do anything wrong whatsoever. He was working as a spy for Misha. Versus other opinions that say differently. Uh, in the Tanakh, uh, they speak about it pretty bad. Um, look at Nehemiah, where he says, that the Jews at the time of baking the golden calf did um, terrible, unspeakable things. Really disgusting things. Which means it was an idol. And it also descended afterwards, and the Gila arrives, the orgies, and this, and that, and the other. Right? At the same time, uh, there's a there's a counter thing that, you know, kicked the guy in the teeth. They're making fun of us, you're ten times worse. And then there's a counter narrative that says, no, but you have to tell the people. This conflictedness, that we want to share the story, but we don't want to share the story, is, of course, as old as the Mishnah, at least. Because the Mishnah says, you know, Part of the narrative you translated when you read it in public for the Oilam in the synagogue of ancient times in which people didn't know what they're hearing when they hear the Hebrew and they depended on the Maturgum to translate it. And he says, part of the story you do tell, but part of the story you do not tell. Now there the Gemara says, for theological reasons, it might sound like they were, when Aaron threw the you know, uh, and when he threw the, the golden out, popped the eagle, like a miracle. So you might think there's some mamushas to it. That's a theological reason. But in general, whenever you have these Nikra Umatargim versus Nikra Volumatargim, we generally have in mind to keep away from the unlearned masses, and certainly from the Gentiles, stories that reflect poorly on the Jewish people. It's a Jewish pride. Uh, and yet at the same time, we're pulled in two directions. We want to know what happened, but then on the other hand, you want to defend it and say it didn't happen, which is why, as I understand it, there's like competing literatures out there, starting from the Chazal down through all the Mepharsh and Middle Ages and down till today, people can line up into two columns, A and B. One who try to, um, what's the right word, reduce the offense and others go the other direction. You find this in the Chazal. It's very interesting to me. A wonderful example of what I'm talking about is um, the Mechor Shor, who was one of the Balitosis. I like his commentary, the Mechor Shor. He's one of the Balitosis. He's a French exegete, so therefore it means, like the Rajbam, they're super focused on Pashup Shot. Sometimes to a remarkable way, it wouldn't, it wouldn't fly in art school today. But on the other hand, he reveals, you know, powerful emotions, which I find very cool. To me, this year... The most interesting pasuk is when it says and that Moshe saw Aaron Bayar. How's it go in uh, in Periklam and Beis Bayar? Um, it's um. Let me see here. Here it says Bayar Moshe is um kiparuho kiparuho aharon l'shim tzavakamehim. That's a very fascinating pasuk because it can't be translated. Words, it's a very difficult and obscure Hebrew. Okay. Now, Rashin, the plain way, you go in Bible Hub, you know, the plain translation is, Moshe saw the people that they were vild, paruhu, undisciplined, unkempt, wild, unrestrained. Keep for Aaron, because Aaron had done that to them, the Shimsa would come in to turn them into a mockery among the Goyim. So basically, what we say to the Hashem, now, it's not Chil Hashem, it's a Chil of Chal Yisrael. The Shimsa would come in. Rashi says it, right? There are other ways of translating it, but 
The idea is that your enemies make fun of you. Here, God took the Jews out of Egypt, and he gave them all this stuff, and he uh, gave them the Torah, Ten Commandments, Har Sinai, with the whole uh, light and um, and and uh, you know sound show, and and so you know colas was all and then they go make a stupid kid, right? Now, the Bechor Shor says like this: Parua uparis erosion. No, Zainichanam. He reads like Rashi that they were uh, wild, uh, uh, undisciplined. You know. Uh, Exposed, that's a better word. Kiparuhu, the people were exposed. Uparis Rosha Isha, Shinizgalash Dusam Baklonum. That their stupidity, which is a fundamental Jewish characteristic, was now revealed. He says, and that was a terrible disgrace. That's what drove Mesha crazy. So Moshe was a patriot. You know what I'm saying? It drove him crazy. I'm reading the Bukhar Shor now. Because when they left Egypt, everybody thought they were Am Chacham. V'yaton nizgala sheim shotim, right? So yisvurim sheiglas yanigim. They were stupid enough to believe that they can get to Israel wherever they want to go, led by a golden calf. They thought of something to it. And l'shim sebekomei and listen to this. Sheumas haolam. I repeat, this is written by a French Jew in the twelfth century, time of Ravenu Tom and so forth, time of the Crusades, when the Christians are really pouring on the Jews. But the Jews in Ashkenaz give it right back to them. Sha'umas ha'ola maligim aleinu lemor, that the Goyim, meaning the Christians, make fun of us, saying, Halo atemasisimus ego, you dumb Jews, you made the ego. That's the meaning, pro'o aron l'shim tzabakomiyem, to make them geshmutzed among those who would go against them. Vani ra'isi, and. Vani ra'isi, and. The author, the Yezid Bechor Shor, says, Mashal, I saw a good mashal from the Medish Rabbah. She'umas ha'olam b'chol makam, osas b'chol makam p'silam b'tzlam aligon aleinu. The Christians are making fun of us? Really? The Catholics? Really? <laughs> yeah, really? And that is, Mashal Adam Shailo Eishas Yifas Torah, a guy had a wife who was beautiful, Vailo Shifchas, and he had all these maids, scullery maids, who worked in the old days, this a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago actually, doing all the kitchen work with the and they're dirty and, and unkempt and so forth. Uh well and the Shvachos, the maid said, It's like upstairs, downstairs. <laughs> you know, the master upstairs angered the wife, he's gonna divorce her, he's gonna marry one of us. Amlehem Lama, and the answer is Kiesmo, because so when the master came home, Ramat she saw that his wife, the mistress, upstairs, her hands got dirty because she touched a coal or something like that. and it was tremendously turned off by this dirt on her hand. So I'm sure he's going to divorce her. And one of us is going to become the mistress to move upstairs. Um, lahem, uh, so people said to the maids, this might must be like a, 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 a novel. Shotus, you idiots. Matem omros. Ishto, she yifastor. The mistress upstairs, she's yifastor. You think because one because her hand got dirty one time, he's going to divorce her. He's going to marry you? 
You're dirty and covered with soot and junk like that from top to bottom from your scullery work all day long. You're so covered with, you know, dirt and and, and uh, grime, you can't even see your face, you can't even see your nose. So the idea is like this, the pot calling kettle black. The Christians are mocking us. Oh, you made You Jews are terrible. You made an idol once upon a time. Okay, true. You're right. If you go through Jewish history, and you go back 3,000 years ago, there was one time we made an eagle. That is true. You Catholics, you have a million idols, 10 million idols. Not everything, you know, uh, by you is another idol. Another statue. So that reflects, that's a wonderful text. You know, the Jewish anger being dissed by the Christians in this particular case. Because they themselves are the biggest perpetrators when it came to idols. He's talking about the medieval church. Okay? Nevertheless, it is, in spite of that, in spite of his understandable patriotism, it is a very interesting pasuk. It says that Moshe saw ki uh, that the people are iski kept, you know, they're iski lotsen. I would say the word would be depraved. Ki and shimsa Because what really is happening over here is, at least in my understanding this year, the following. Um, I'm going to say something that's going to sound funny. Tell me exactly what the Jews did wrong. Okay? Now listen closely. If they made an idol, now we'll never know exactly clarity. There's a thousand interpretations, and clarity you're not going to get. But an idol they made. Did they mean this idol as a different god? Or was it an idol of God? Right? It sounds funny. Where is it saying the Torah? Now shalt not make an idol of Hashem. To my understanding, I don't think it does. Isn't that funny? I asked. I actually asked a friend of mine, or one or two people. And they said, "What are you talking about? This news you can be medak from your day." Blah blah blah. Tell me where it says Nachomish, plain and simple, "Thou shalt not make an idol of God." Particularly at this point in Jewish history, which is made the golden calf, as you know, immediately after the the, the Ten Commandments were pronounced. As we all know, the story is that uh, Shavuos, the Ten Commandments were pronounced. That Moshe was up there for 40 days. So 40 days, what's that? Six weeks or so, seven weeks after they heard that, they made a golden calf. So don't bring me nothing from Vayikra Bamid Devarim, although I don't think it says that either there. Where does it say the Ten Commandments or, uh, you know, things like that? You're not allowed to make an idol of God. And don't give me this Maimonidean business. Oh, if you can imagine the deity in some kind of physical form and all the rest of it. Maybe it's incorrect if you actually think that this represents God or something like that. And I'm not saying it's a good thing. But where does it actually say what they, what they did wrong? It's just interesting to me. They could tell you, listen, we're not doing anything wrong because we're making an idol of God. The idea of an invisible God is a little heavy for us. And a, and, and a physical one is good. shot means this is Hashem. Not that this idol physically is God. But it represents God. Why did they make a golden calf? I don't know. <laughs> That's a fair question. But 
you know, let, let's say the, the religious uh, association at that time, the Egyptian, whatever, were along those lines. In Egypt, they worship whatever they worship. You know, the Tler or something like that. Whatever the reason was, now, what Moshe or Aaron could have said afterwards was like this. You guys are making a big theological mistake, my friends. The, you cannot represent God in any form. And he would proceed to give him a more Nebuchadnezzar lesson. You know, God is defined as that which created everything. I know this is brand new to you guys. You know, we, we just got out of Egypt. Um, ish, ish, she could say, you know, uh, you still got a lot of Memtesh, Shari Tumas. So, I mean, I get all that. And even if you got rid of that at Harsinai, but, you know, the residue is still there. And uh, it's a mistake. Uh, let's uh, destroy this idol. And Mikhail Haba, let's move, you know, to not to do this anymore because it's based on a fundamental misconception. So Moses would give them a theology lesson, which is nothing wrong. And they would move on. But we know, no, Moshe blew up. He said, kill everybody, the big sin of all times. God said, I'll never forgive them. By Moshe, the guns of business. You see, it's more than that. Now, the Pashup shot is that they made Mamsha an idol. They said, we don't believe in the God who took us out of Egypt. We believe in a different God. Zeus, uh, Minerva, uh, Jupiter, Baal. This uh, golden cave represents one of those. It doesn't seem that way, though. See, it doesn't seem that way. This was a different deity. Right? Not as I understand it. Seems that they're saying, this is the God in heaven. Now, we know that God in heaven is not physical. This is an approximation. Again, not an approximation necessarily, but it's simple. Now, uh, what is it saying in the Ten Commandments? Lo yilohim achir malponayv, lo sasa kol peso bashamayim malwarts mitogas, lo sishakom lohodim. Those are other gods. Don't make an image of the Meshamshin, this kind of thing. But where does it say you can't make one of Hashem himself? And if you did, it's a mistake. What would happen today? Today, if somebody became interested in Judaism and they meant well, and they made a, a, a little idol of the Jewish God, you have to tell listen. Like, suppose the guy's in Kirov or something like that. He said, listen, that's all. We Jews don't do this. You have to imagine God is having no form. Give him his Rambam lesson and so forth and so on. You know, you don't mean, need me to tell you. you know, when the Rambam himself says, that whoever says God could have a form is by even saying that a min derive it says you're wrong, right? By which not derive it held that way, but he said, I guess the guy simply made making a theological mistake. Remember, he said, Gadon, there are many people out there. If you scratch them down, they hear this, I gotta tell you, hear this, Chazal, there's this thing, they'll take it literally to some degree or another. To be perfectly honest, if you're a thorough Maimonidean, even if you think Hashem got angry. You're already doing Avodah If you think Hashem loves mitzvahs, you're doing Avodah because God cannot have emotions. You see? So, the gross anthropomorphisms, no mamelo. But even the other things are anthropomorphisms. And from a theological point of view, they're outrageous. So it's, it's not easy for people to handle all that. So where, what exactly did they do that drove everybody crazy? It seems... When he says in the Pusik that he saw the people with Parua, Lishimsa Bakameim, 
And it wasn't simply about worshiping an image of God, but it led to mixed dancing, <laughs> right? Meaning A led to B, B led to C. And the next thing you know, uh, they were doing all kinds of gilarize, especially one gets the idea of gilarize. Talent ter- turned into depravity, right? Isn't that what it sounds like? Keep pro. Oh, I run the shims of a command. Aaron turned them into vild, unleashed, you know, uh, modern Hebrew pro'od or when you have riots, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that's not the only possible way of reading it, but that is the classic way Rashi and the others, and the King James Bible too, for that matter. Now, it was surprising to me. I said, let's have some fun. Let me open up Arya Kaplan. Because usually he provides alternative ways of reading it. My goodness, did he do so. I, it shocked me. I, Kaplan, says, um, Moses realized that the people had actually been restrained. Aaron had restrained them, doing only a small part of what the outspoken ones had demanded. That's like attack. That's like raping the pussy, as far as I'm concerned. And he brings, you know, as he often does, very, very nicely, different approaches. Apparently, the Raubach must learn like this, that Aaron had been restrained and learned some kind of word along along those lines. Maybe the Raubach, for philosophical reasons, is trying to, you know, do away with this sort of thing, uh, with this notion that they made an idol. But the Pashim shot is that the people are unrestrained, you know? Now, here's the point. Idolatry leads to that. You understand? It's like drugs. You know, you can't say I'm going this far and not farther. Making, I don't know exactly why because I'm not a psychologist. But it seems to be when you make an image, you know, by the time you're finished, it lends itself to Gilarai Shpichadam Bodhazar. Especially Gilarai. It just does. It turns into orgiastic activity, uh, which clearly. Is what they have in mind here. Paru is Paris Rosh Isha. There's unrestraint. And the idea goes like this, at least to my mind. We have the concept of Simcha. But Simcha, I'm talking about from the Jewish perspective. Simcha is to be very happy, wild, and all the rest of it, with no indecency and nothing improper. Um, that's easier said than done. In most societies down in history, you can't have a party without A, B, C, D, F, and G. <laughs> All right? I won't name it specifically. You can't do it. Think, for example, the Christians. Formally speaking, in Christianity, they also are not supposed to have indecency. But in every culture, right? Every culture, they developed a Mardi Gras or a fushing, or a carnivale. It's interesting. Every group has a zach like this. You understand? The where things where hutra haritsua. If you know the history of cultures around the world, and even I don't know the Islamic one well enough. I'm not going to get into that. But I'll stick with the European ones and the non-European ones. Whatever their official position is, Lamaisa, they have whole seasons in which it's mamashot to if you know the European cultures 
You have it worked out that, you know, you can have gilarized shrikadam or azara, and then when the week is over, you stop. Okay? Any case of gilarized that happens during the carnival, it doesn't count. That sounds funny. And the idea is that what you see over here is the uh, paruhu. The human being strives to be parua, to unleash the passions, to have no restrictions. You feel fine when the when anything goes, and everything is one minute song. Now the 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 now to tell you the truth, you and I today in America, you know we have this challenge. This year is a Corona Purim, but regular Purim, simple story things like this, things can get out of hand, and they often do. Okay, to tell you the truth, even in Jewish times, when they had big simchas, there was a big danger of things getting out of hand. That's why they made the mechitzah in the base of English, correct? You know right? Uh, this is why even Yom Kippur is associated with this. Or if you know the the Gemaras, it's a basic problem. How do you have gatherings and simchas and all the rest, of it, and and people really get into it? Not that you're a stuck-up guy. The guy, the girl, they really get into it. And they really be simple and all the rest of it, but without prorua, without anything improper having. It's not so simple. Okay? And even in from circles, where because of the sociology, we don't have a problem with this, but nowadays especially, and throughout history, we've been having problems with drinking and uh, carnivalistic activities. In Shulchanach, we even have, I told you before, that in Christian cultures, in Europe, what happened during carnival times didn't count. If somebody was Mazana with somebody, it didn't count. That's the law of the church. We don't have that, but we do have, for example, very interesting in Shulchanach about Purim, that, you know, Choshim stuff, if I damage your clothes during Purim, it doesn't count. You see? Um, yeah, it says, you know, Bezin has to be in charge. There's a long history of poor and partying in history. I'm talking a thousand years now and more. We have records where it's hard to keep things down. Right? They gun it from each other, steal. It's the nature of, of, of the event. Now, in the case that we're dealing with, they had the pronouncement of Ten Commandments. Then there was, Moshe was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. There are no outlet, obviously. There are seeds with gigantic emotion. Uh, it was a tremendous buildup. Imagine psychologically, you were there by the Harsinai. And then Moshe goes up to the mountain. You see all that with the, the entering the cloud. However, it has to be interpreted. And then another 33 days. It's building to a climax. And of course, we know Moshe Moshe didn't show up. There had to be a release all that energy. Now, suppose Moshe would have come down in the right time with the two tablets. Then the energy and the simcha would have been channeled in that direction. People would have given Moshe a parade. Right? Here's a nice project. Just imagine or write a play. What if, you know, now it's very popular to, to do counterfactual. You know, a lot of books and movies coming out. What if Robert E. Lee won the Battle of Gettysburg? What if Napoleon won the Battle of Waterloo? You know, that kind of thing. History in reverse. So here's a good one. What if Moshe Rabbeinu would have come back an hour earlier? Right? With that Sarah Sadibris. 
What were, where would the how would the Jewish people respond to that? Do you imagine with a huge emotion and passion? You think, especially you see haluchas, two meds Elohim, you know, chorus haluchas. I mean, and with diamonds, it would have been seen. But of course, it didn't happen that way. And so what happened is all this energy and, and psychological buildup end up expressing itself in this other fashion. Arab, at least the way the Pusik describes it, Kippurah, Aaron, the Shims of Kameh. Aaron was not able to restrain them and turn it into a Achil Hashem. Or Achil of Kali Throw. Achil of Kali Throw. Now, there, and that's what it means by Yasut and Otsos Kedolos. The things of terrible blasphemy. Either you can say it theologically. If you look at the Medish Rabba, um it does say, Cherufa Vigidufin, Macharfa Makadaf is blasphemy. No, that would be an argument in favor of the fact that they believe this is a different God. But on the other hand, uh, you, could, you could also learn it that they thought this is God. Or, like I said before, this is Tashem God. Now, the reason I mention it is because. The Eglazov is not only in this week's Parsha. The Eglazov pops up later in Jewish history. I've said this all the time. <coughs> According to many, that was the Pesel Micha. And besides that, as we all know, when the kingdom split after the death of Shlomo Melch, Yerubin the Vote led everybody to worship the Eglazov. Which means that the Eglazov became the official religion of ten tribes and remained so uninterruptedly, until the kingdom of the north went down to under the attack of Asher, of, of Assyria. That's remarkable. That means throughout the 20 kings, it's a couple hundred years, uh, in the north, you had the Eglazov. If you take the trouble to read the book of Malachan, every single one king of the north, without exception, was into the Eglazov. Some of them took it beyond that, and they did the Baal and Asherah, in addition, it goes on. That would be the dynasty of Umri. Um, but every one of them, the normal, was, it goes up. I'll give you an example. Yehu, uh, it's famous, he wiped out the, the dynasty of, of Achav, which he was directed to do by a prophet. And he destroyed, in a clever move, all the Baal worship. But then he himself set up the Egozov, for which he was chastised. But he didn't back off. It seems to me, people did not regard the Eglazov as something bad. Okay? How could... You, I mean, a famous question in the Farshim that I haven't seen a good answer to. I know the classic answers. I haven't seen a good answer to is how did Rumpen pull it off? Think about it. The Jewish people were before Baizrisha and the beginning of Baizrisha. They just had three from rulers. Shaul, David, Shlomo. Now, Shaul wasn't perfect, but he was very from. Shlomo had his issues, agreed, understood. This is a from guy. They were not into idols. Right? How, do you, how, do you, how does it happen? It doesn't make sense. Like you tell me, the guy spent, you know, four years in near Israel, three years in Mir, four years in Panavish, and then he became, uh, became a guy. It doesn't sound right. You understand? If you tell me that there was a long, um, slow rot, and under this king it was bad, and next king it was bad, and next king it was bad, to finally 
they went so low that they reached the Madrega that they worship idols. I hear that. We have such things. But here it's the, the, the break is very sharp. Shlomo just finished ruling. He built the most unbelievable base of Mikdash. The Jewish religion looked like it was rocking. Um, there is one of them before. The Radaf says that the, the wealth spoiled them. But I find that hard to hear to explain that it would go for golden calf. The only explanation I like is the idea that people thought this is a part of Judaism. It's our Judaism. It's a it's an idol of God. Now again, oh, you know, I would say God is a tamun and all the rest. Of it. You can't convince people like that. Take a look. If you think I'm nuts, take a look at the story of Pesel Michal. The mother says, "Now that I found that my son is alive, I want to do something." The shame Shemayim. Therefore, I'm gonna make an idol. <laughs> you know what she says? She originally cursed her son, and then she, and that was happy. It didn't happen. And she says, I want to do something to thank Hashem. Tell him I make a pestle. What? What? And the, the Tanakh doesn't go into whole, you know, it, read the story like it's, a, you know, regular news. It takes how she made the pestle, and how they set up a church. They don't go into shock. How could people do it? And even if you tell me, like, the from interpretation, which is this was at the beginning of the period of the Jews, right after the time of Yeshua Benun. Still, didn't you already learn what happened to Eglos of? You see, and the level of the Hamunam, right? Because, by the way, this idol was in, if you follow the story of Pesel Michal, it was Eglos of, it was kidnapped by the tribe of Don and taken all the way up north to Tel Don. It was there for hundreds of years. Then it was the idol of the tribe of Don, which means they were Jewish, and in their way, they understood themselves to be from Jews. But it includes bring a carbon, take goes up, among other things. So you go to Shachar's Mechamar, if you have Daf Yomi, all the rest of it, you also have Eglos up. They didn't view it as incompatible. You and I today view it as incompatible. Chazal view it as incompatible. At the time of Chazal, there's no more idol worship. You know what I'm saying? Certainly by the time of Rishonim. Uh, so we're trying to figure out how the heck did this happen that Dordea all these big people could worship a, a, a cow. But I think, right, as far as I know, they can say, why not? All God said was don't worship other idols, don't make statues of other idols. But if we make an idol of Hashem, because we need it. We need it. It's easy for you philosophers to say, God cannot be imagined. You know, it's 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 a beyond beyond. God doesn't even exist because he created the concept of existence. He created every single thing out there. Doesn't exist in time and space. I get that. But you know, the Torah's not written that way. The Torah's written in a pretty physical way. And even though it's expected that you'll understand it at one point, not that way, but many people are childlike, particularly at that time. Death left Egypt. And they take these things very literally. When Hashem said, I'm angry for doing this and that and the other, they thought God is a person up there of some kind or another who gets angry. The way you and I get angry. He has to be appeased. You know what I'm saying? You cannot expect people, everybody, to be a Balmachshaba, a philosopher, a theologian, understand what is possible to say about Hashem, not possible to Hashem. That is exactly the reason the Rambam wrote his, all his books. 
That is exactly the reason the Rambam composed his 13 principles, because he said people aren't understanding Judaism, so I want to establish the 13 principles, so that hopefully they'll spread among the people and purge the false ideas that are out there, which means that among most Jews, or many Jews, they were having false ideas, including ideas that God could have a form, which is what the Rambam is waging a war against. So just because he's waging a war against it doesn't mean that a lot of people didn't hold that way. It means the opposite. Many people did hold that way. The Rambam was throwing his hands up, trying to battle this. He didn't say that all these people are not Jewish. He says, more or less, once you know the truth, if you hold the wrong opinion, you're a man and all the rest of it, which the others were not macabre. So keep these ideas in mind, seems to me, uh, when you have this. Now, if somebody can find me wrong, because I looked around, I even looked in Sefer Mitzvah Melech, notice I looked up the Ramah's uh, uh, Sefer Mitzvahs, where he has the do's and the don'ts, especially the don'ts, which seem to be five, six, fourteen, and one more. And it doesn't boil down to a pusik, the way I read it, in which it says clearly, you're not allowed to make an idol of God. Uh, and when I say I looked at Mitzvah Melch, he brings all the sheets, you know, this is the Rambam's take here, this is the Rabbeinu Tom, this is the Ramban, so on and so forth. It's not what you think. They talk about making a Tzur Illinois, you can't make an idol, like we say today for artistic. Some say this, some say that. It's Bole, it's Shakua, all kind of details. Um, so I'm not saying this is a good idea, but I'm raising a question over here, especially when you read the Pashas. Kisisa, you know, what precisely did did they see themselves as doing wrong? And um, now they were wrong. Shem was angry. They got tremendously punished. But it's unclear. Uh, the anger of God and the punishment they follow really only makes sense if you understand that they that they that they understood they themselves to be another god, a different deity, you know Zeus. Or something like that. <laughs> you know, Ra. Baal. If that's the case, then it's disgusting. Uh, there are Chazals like that. You know? There are indeed. You know? They talk about infidelity. That somebody, um, you know, who, uh, like a Kala being Mizan and the Chuppah, those are languages of going after other gods. The, that's a very uncomfortable set of interpretations. It could be, you know, that I'll say again, that is the plain and, and push of shot. But those who don't look at it that way and try to find a, a more sophisticated approach, it seems to me, if you go in that Mahalach, which many do, they want the question, what exactly, or let me put it this way, looking back, and with this I'll conclude, from Parshish Gizisa on, for the next thousand years in Jewish history, hear what I just said? That millennium in Jewish history seems to have been dominated by a notion that uh, it's okay to make an idol of God as long because it's not for another God. You see? The people in the Pesel Micha and all that, they consider themselves to be from Jews. And their Mepharshim one that I mentioned in the past especially Yifei Toar, who says they thought this is part of Judaism, and when from kings came along, like David and Melch, they didn't want to mess with it, 
Because if they would tell him it's not part of Judaism, it would tear the whole thing down. You know, they would give up all Yiddishkeit whatsoever. So it's a very complicated... All I'm saying is, it's a very complicated story. Fascinatingly so. And I think a lot of it has to do with how you interpret this Pusik. Keep pro Aaron Lashim to Bakamayim. Aaron had, uh, again, Dari Kaplan is wild. He says people had actually been restrained. He could have done worse. Aaron had restrained him, doing only a small part of what the outspoken ones had demanded. So that's Mamasha, the interest, I mean, how to read that in the words is a little beyond me. Right? By the way, Donkulus, who's always worried about such things, Donkulus was definitely, uh, you know, written and composed to give a from the interpretation for the Hamonam out there. So he says, He made a uh, a disgrace, not for the Goyim, but for their own descendants, for you and I, the Dorain, for the Darus. They don't want to bring in the Geisha mocking of us. So, if this is a complicated story, I've succeeded. Uh, it's a fascinating story. And there's many facets to it. Uh, but I would suggest, if you want to have some fun, consider what I said this Shabbos when you're arguing on your way to show the outside minion, and uh, tell me, you know, where does it say clearly, especially in Ten Commandments, don't make any pictures of, don't make any idols of me. Right? That's an, an outrageously offensive thing. Not an idol of another god. Can't make an idol of me. What is so bad about that? You, you hear what I'm saying? What exactly is so bad about that? And if it's just a law in the Veltarine, why was this uh, atomic reaction? So, with these questions, I leave you. Again, we thank the Marcuses for their sponsorship, and have a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidcats.com.